Have you made an honest review? Jump onto fifthwrist.com and read real takes by real owners about their watches. And of course, get involved and write about what's on your wrist. Fifthwrist.com is your independent space to talk watches. Hello everyone and welcome to the Defining Time show on Fifth Wrist Radio and thank you for tuning in. Fifth Wrist is a place where enthusiasts can explore and share and bring to life this hobby that we all love. So my name's Anthony and today I'm joined by my co-host Adam from Medium Watch. Adam, welcome. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always nice to come back to uh, do a podcast with you. I really enjoy your your depth of knowledge and your ability. Your questions are just always <laughs> so fantastic. Um so it's, uh, it's really cool to have you here. So today we have a special guest, which I'm going to go over to Adam to introduce uh, today's guest. Sure. So I am really excited to introduce someone who's also a podcast host and has his own show. His name is Joe, and he goes by Biaoist because in Mandarin Chinese, uh, Shou Biao is a, is a wristwatch. And so that's where his Instagram handle and podcast name comes from. And he is the co-founder of Red Bar Taiwan. Uh, and really his good handle on what people are doing. Um, he's got a lot of friends that collect watches. He's got this podcast and has really been a center of the watch community in Taiwan and helped get people together, talking about watches, having a drink, and apparently eating lots of chicken wings. And so, uh, <laughs> so, so I guess you do not recommend we go to Din Tai Fung. You have uh, other places you'd rather we check out. So uh, without further ado, um, since we are all at home right now and not eating chicken wings, uh, let's do a drink check. So what are you drinking, Joe? Um, I'm drinking Kavalan single, single malt. So Kavalan ah. is a whiskey from Taiwan. So it was ah. one of the um, best whiskey in the world. So I'm drinking that as a proud Taiwanese. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> I might have to get a bottle. I wonder if I can find it here in Australia. I'll check I it out. I think you can. I think it's yeah. possible. Yeah. I like I like to try other whiskies besides the ones from Scotland. Although they're good. <laughs> there are the, the Australian ones are really good as well from Tasmania. So uh, there I you can, go. Uh, I can bottle. send you my bottle, yeah. I can send oh, you yeah, my yeah. bottle. That'll yeah. be good. That'll be good. <laughs> we have a sponsor, although I'm I'm blocking the name of this sponsor. There's some alcoholic drink we're supposed to be drinking in this thing. Um Nah. <laughs> but uh, I have here an economy seltzer water beverage because I need to save up my money for my watches. Very and, good. Uh, very good. What do you have, Anthony? Well, it's uh, it's it is very early. Well, it's not very early. It's ten fifty a.m. in the morning. So I have a, a beautifully brewed uh, black coffee just to get me get the caffeine into me and uh, get me fired up for the day ahead. So should be fun. Should be fun. Should we do some wrist checks? Because I think we've got some uh, some clashing wrist checks here at the moment. So uh, maybe, Adam, why don't we start with you? Why don't, what's on your wrist? So I have my Royal Oak, Baby Oak 56175ST. And the reason why this is a special watch for this chat is Joe also has this, but in tantalum. Hey. And I recently totally took it apart. And I couldn't figure out if the crystal was a jar or not. And so I had to ask someone what does this look like when it's fully assembled? And Joe came to my rescue. Uh, so Joe, what's on your wrist? Yeah. So um, in honor of the today's uh, podcast host, and um, I'm also wearing the 56175 
in Tantalan. This is oak, also called a baby oak. Also, <laughs> also it has an engraving in the back. A little bit slightly different from Adams is that it has a championship engraving in the back because this is for, I think, Nick, Fol- Nick Fox, um, champion when he won oh. the Masters in 1990. Yeah, another golf game in 1990. And then I recently started golfing, so this is the watch I go to when I actually. Yeah, <laughs> people recommend me not to wear it, but uh, this is the watch I go to. And this, the other one is um, is the in, in honor of another podcast host, Anthony. <laughs> and congratulations on your new watch arrival. Uh, I know you. that uh, uh, from the last podcast, you, you know, from the, this year, you decided not to get any watches at all. And you, already, you, you, you went through the six months not having yeah. any watches. And uh, but uh, somehow I think this is last week that you you you, you received yep. yours. So congratulations! So <laughs> wow. I'm wearing the the jelly oak, the cassie oak in uh, what transparent um, uh, cases and the strap. So it looks like yeah. a sapphire watch, sapphire case watch. Beautiful. Now none of this was planned, and I, I assure you that this this was not planned at all. But I am actually, I think the fifth wrist kids call it dual wielding or double fisting as well, which I never ever do. But I thought today I'm going to do it, and I also have my my brand new. I think it's a GA dash two one hundred dash SKE, and I assume the SKE is for skeleton or something like that. But yeah. Um, the guys from Fifth Wrist pitched in. They they knew I wasn't getting any watches this year, but I did want one of these because I just thought it was so cool. And uh, they uh, they got it for me for my birthday, which is just, uh, you know, I was so speechless when the package arrived and I wasn't allowed to open it until we had a Zoom meeting all together on Saturday night, just gone. And, uh, you know, it's just when, when people do things like that, it's just so it's so touching. And so it's just a, a reminder about how good this community is and, and and you know these aren't these aren't expensive watches, but for for watch guys, there's just something about G-Shocks that just I don't know whether it, it takes me back to being eight years old, traveling in Malaysia with my family, and um, Dad bought me a G-Shock, and I remember playing the alarm underwater, and you know we, we were in this hotel called uh, Mikasa. And it was a beautiful hotel in KL. The pool was awesome. And, and I just kept going underwater, setting off this alarm. And I was fascinated that this watch could do that. So, you know, I think there's something about G-Shocks. And um, the Dial Artist, you haven't responded to me yet. So, Chris, Dial Artist, if you're listening, I'd like to uh, get uh, get some of your artwork on here to, uh, you know, to take take this watch with me for, for many years to come. And on my other wrist, I've just got back my Oxen Junior from uh, La Chaux de Fonds with a, a bit of a uh, makeover, I suppose, with a nice patina meta dial now and uh, a patina seconds hand. So really cool. Um, also got one of the uh, Sabina Brega, I think her name is, the Cordura textile straps. So they are they're really cool, really, nice. really nice. I know Adam, Adam's got an Oxen Junior or two or yes. however many you've yeah, got. A pair um, of them. They're fantastic watches, so light. Uh, they are they are really fantastic, and I hope one day I can own the uh, the day night. It's just oh, I yeah. just that they are so they're quite expensive, and they are a, a technical marvel. But I hope someday maybe I have to sell a few watches to to get one. But they're just so cool. So hmm. anyway, let's uh, that's wrist checks and drink checks done. I'm going to do some rapid questions now, and then we'll get into to asking some questions of Joe. So Joe, are you ready? All right. Rolex or Amiga? 
Rolex. Yes. Vintage or modern? Neo vintage. Neo vintage. Okay. I understand that. Mainstream or indie? Indie. Indie. All right. My newest question from last time, last podcast, black dial or white dial? Which do you prefer? Quick. Black dial. Black. <laughs> nice. And a new question which no one has ever heard yet. Strap or bracelet? Strap. Strap. Okay. All right. Well done. Thank you for that. I appreciate the quick quick answers. Gojo? I, I recommend that you guys add one more question. Yes, please. <laughs> I, my pen is um, ready. Yeah, I think I think over forty millimeter or under is ah. a, a pretty good question. Please uh, answer that question. <laughs> yeah, 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 for me it's under. For you, how about you guys? I medium watch. Oh, you, medium. All okay. oh, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so so what, is that how 40? do you find medium? Yeah, is that forty? <laughs> oh, you no, know, it's it's really under thirty nine. Although preferably thirty four to thirty six. Really, God, I uh. think that's small. But I suppose everyone's different. Um, well, you're not so, okay. watch. So, so 34 to 39. Okay, I, I would have to say, so it's a, it's a very good question. And my collection is, I, I think personally, it's quite interesting because it goes from 36 up to, I mean, besides the G-Shock, the other black one I've got, but up to 42.8. And I've got a few 42s, but I've got a 38 and I've got some 40s. So I think... I think I would say above 40 or above um, is, is where I would land with that. But I love it. I'm going to introduce that. I'm slowly – so I had five original questions. Now I've taken two out, put two in. I'll take another one out and put uh, – maybe mainstream or indie I'll take out and put in the, the new 40 mil questions. So thank you for that. That's really cool. Righto. Adam, over to you. Let's, uh, sure. let's get this conversation going. So your logo is a top hat with part of a Zeitwerk on it. Why the top hat and why the Zeitwerk? Yeah, thanks for the question, Adam. Um, let's start with IGN handle that you mentioned earlier. Uh, Biao means wristwatch in Mandarin, right? And IST, Biaoist, IST is a suffix, means someone who is performing some specific action. So that is, I think is combining both Biao and IST, Biaoist. It, both words is actually a perfect harmony between the East and the West. So the start, the logo start out as a symbol of a gentleman with a hat on, with a gentleman head on, right? He was, so uh, he works uh, nine to five life, meaning that that's why the, the gentleman hat on top of it, he's thinking about watches and that's 5 p.m. Every day at 5 p.m., he became a watch nerd. And uh, he got off work. He goes to run a watch store and trying on different watches. And then what happened if he found his ultimate grail, ultimate watches? So will he still be going around looking at different watch store? Would they be? Will he be trying on, still being trying on different watches? Probably not, right? Because he would be thinking about his uh, his uh, his grail watch all the time. Therefore, I think I originally I had that. Uh, Biawa's logo with uh, five o'clock, five p.m. timing, timing ah. in the in the in the head, in, well, in, embedded inside a gentleman head, and now because I have a eye work, so I've been thinking about you know it's a sort of like X-ray through your through this guy, this watching her's head, and then you see a eye work because that's all he thinks about. Um, <laughs> that's why I have the eye work. I change the like logo a little bit, and the eye work uh, is embedded in my 
is in, inside my brain. Ah, you just can't see it. Okay. Wow. That's, that's a reason. Wow. I think Zyworg is a pretty good uh, tattoo design. So, you know, if, if someone can have a tattoo on their wrist will be, or, or some, somewhere in the body part would be pretty cool. What do you guys think? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I did not expect that answer. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. That is so in-depth and so well thought out. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was listening to your most recent podcast on the waiting list, I think it was. And, and so something that really intrigued me was not only your interest in leadership and the way that leadership is and how it sort of impacted you and your life. And, and I'm very much the same. I've, I've been a career banker and spent the last 10 years in leadership. It's only just recently gone into a different role with a different company. So I understand leadership and it's something that I think um, really grows on someone over time and as you get more experience, et cetera. So um, you've, you've used the terminology of boss man, which I really like. And I know that in, in some Asian countries, the, the, the language of boss, it doesn't necessarily mean boss. It actually is more of a, um, a commandeering or a, a, another way to say uh, friend, but very, with, with a lot of respect behind it as well. Um, and I thought, so how have you seen leadership change over time? And more specifically, you know, what are some of the aspects that you think in leadership that will always be there, but then also things that have changed as we've gone through technology shifts and also COVID? So three questions there, sorry, but see how you go. Oh, no worries. Uh Thanks for the question, Anthony. Um, I think in this COVID world, um, adapting, adapting, or people must adapt. Uh, especially leadership need to adapt um, because this dynamic is totally different now. Like there's a hybrid sort of people working from office, people working outside office remotely, and then as a leader, you need to think about you know why why do you want your teammates to be joining you in office? Why or or do they, does it matter if they're in office or do, do you do you favor the person if if they come to office more or you know you need to think about it because the whole whole dynamic change right so you know people have now have a taste of working from home you know for 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 a long time right now and avoiding to commute and going to the city or living in the city as well right so leading to really evaluate like okay what does it well, what kind of value add do you want your employee working from home or working from office? And then if if the person's job is doing routine, routine work, does it really make sense for them to actually come to office? Um, but what, what if you, you actually want to use their time and bring them to office? What would, what, what would be the value add? What would be the, the best use of their time? So I think uh, adapting in this COVID is definitely as a, a homework for most of leadership is doing right now and adapting right now um but also also at the same time i think this is a good opportunity for or i think this is once of a century time in this kind of environment that we are able to you know work in this so for, for sure i think distant working technology is gonna be here to stay right with the zoom calls the, the the conference calls, you know, the, the, the all the tablets, uh, Chromebooks, and all that stuff is here to stay. It's just I think it's it's up to a leader how you can adapt, how can can change. That also is here to stay because um, people look up to you. 
um, in, in terms of, uh, you know, uh, leadership and mentorship. But how can you actually do that while, while you are not physically there? How you can, how can you convey your message effectively? Um, I think that the use of the technology, it will be, it will be actually make it more scalable. You know, yeah. you, you make it even more scalable. Before you have to be in person meeting. Now you can just put out put a video on a, a technology platform, and you can more people will be seeing it. So those yeah. are. Those are, I think, I, I think they will stay here for, for, for a while. And then leadership, ultimately, I think like having a podcast as well is sort of like you, you, you want to convey your message, make sure that they are heard, your, your, your opinion are there, and you, you can influence others. That's, that's yeah. why I think it, those are actually making more scalable and making more fun uh, in, in a way that they, but we all need to adapt as a leader. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the the one of the words you just used then influence it, it reminds me of uh, a great book written by Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, and it was written in 1936, published in 1937. It's been revised over 70 times into the modern day, and I've read the book about five times, and I've really studied the 36 principles, and it's something that I love to use as a leader. But what I've noticed over the last sort of 18 months since we've stepped into COVID world is the absolute hybrid model that people have. And and I'm now working for a company that allows you to sort of make your own decisions. And I think productivity has gone up. Um, You know, we're, we're doing more business now than we've ever done and we're growing rapidly, but the culture of this make your own decision about how you want to be comfortable has really made me think about that is something that's really changed in leadership where there's, you know, five or six years ago, you you get your team into a room and you can really make eye contact and you can be compelling and, and influencing and the way that you communicate. And all of a sudden you have to do it through a screen now. So I think that the, the way that leadership has changed so much is exactly what you said with adapting to how do you engage through a screen and how do you get the same sort of response that you got to drive the productivity and to drive engagement and happy staff? We know that happy staff equals more productivity. And, and you know, um, and, and Dale Carnegie talks about that in his book as well. But I just think it's fascinating that the stories in that book, a lot of the stories are still from factories and, and businesses in New York in the 19. 19- 30s and 40s through the war yet the core fundamentals of the principles haven't changed it's just the sort of top layer that's adapted so yeah look i listened to your podcast and i just thought it was really interesting leadership is something i love talking about and something i could talk about all day but i suppose this is a watch podcast (laughs) Uh, i'm sure many great leaders have worn watches so there's our connection i guess but um yeah it's a great topic thank you for thank you for your answer it's it's a great book. Um, it, it's still being recommended by people all the time. How to win friends and influence people is is an awesome yeah. book. Totally, very good. So, how does your role uh, as a leader, uh, other parts of your life, influence your collecting? Do you collect differently, and do you collect differently working from home versus um, working in an in person situation? So, I've actually worked from home for about a decade with people across the country. And what's changed for me is not my life, it's everyone else's life. And I've had to, to uh, adapt to other people now working from home, which has been an interesting flip. But, you know, when, I, when I'm when i wearing watches, I'm wearing watches with not many people seeing exactly what I'm doing. 
Uh, how does being a leader and being so influential influence your collecting and what you do? Um, yeah, the, that's that that's a that's an interesting question. I, you 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 are referring to during this COVID time, right? Working from home, right? So, <laughs> I I actually maybe I should go back to how I started start out as a watch collecting. Then I can see I can. And they can like say, or oh, what changed during the COVID time frame. So let's go, let's go from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I start out as a watch collecting, uh, as I mentioned in my uh, the audio podcast, that you know, the there's one motto from Tom Ford because I started out as sort of like um, uh, 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 from a fashion point of view, mm-hmm. a watch should be discreet. So naturally, I, I start out with a Cartier, and then and I actually wear the watch. I'm not the watch wearing me, if that makes sense. So actually, watches are just part of my outfit that actually complement to other pieces that I'm actually wearing. Mm-hmm. But ever since the COVID started, a watch has been wearing me. You know, if, <laughs> if I'm, I'm actually complementing to the to the watch because um, usually I'm home all the time. The only pieces of nice items that's on me is is my watch. You know, I, be, I could be wearing pajamas, I could be wearing t-shirts. So the idea of me um, that, that changed during COVID is that I'm I'm complementing the watch and the watch being my like first focal point when they see me has been bothering me very much. And while I really appreciate the like stuff like really uniquely designed watches such as like cool indies, like Airwork, like MBNF or stuff like that, uh, really oddball watches. Um, I really like to s- sort of like want to stay true to myself and kind of like say, hey, I should go back to where I start out this journey is actually um, I'm wearing the watch. So that's why um, I sort of have changed um, during uh, my during my COVID time. The other one thing that has also changed is where I live. So I used to live near the office. So I usually take like 10 minute stroll or 10 minute uh, bicycle ride to office because I live so close to it. But uh, now I move a little bit out further because of COVID. Mm -hmm. I live in bigger places and and start driving car to work. So there'll be fewer of those uh, hands-free, no handlebar wrist shots from now on. But uh, yeah, those are sort of what have changed throughout the COVID uh, situation. And, um, but I kind of want to slowly shift back to, um, me wearing the watch instead of watch wearing me, hopefully life gets normal for everybody and, uh, we all, we will be good. And yeah, so that's back to normal. That's, um, that's my answers to those questions. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you mentioned on the waiting list podcast that you really like to collect icons. And then I think you started this Cartier, what? icons are in your collection? What icons are not in your collection? And how do you pick which icons you wish to collect? Yeah. Um, I think as a watch collector, I think everybody has been through this kind of journey, right? You, mm-hmm. you first you buy some watches that you people recommend, Seiko, and then you, and when you start thinking, oh yeah, maybe I should collect icons. But uh, I actually didn't mean to say icons because icon is overly used word. But mm-hmm. the message I'm trying to convey is actually the first piece in the product line, the the OG of the watch series. Uh, uh, for instance, okay. yeah, for instance, that we 
we know like Seiko's uh, the creative bunch of uh, divers, right? Oh, on this channel, you guys say cycles, right? <laughs> no, that, that's just the Germans and the French people, where the, the rest of the world says Seiko. And like Lego okay. and Lego, we say Lego. <laughs> okay, okay, because, uh, yeah, I was like, well, why do they keep calling it cycles? But, uh, <laughs> okay, makes sense now. Yeah, back to my answer. <laughs> the, the OG diver for Seiko. Is six two two MAS right? So when I actually first started collecting, I was thinking, okay, there are so many different novelties. There, there are so many different colors and so many. But ultimately, all like same grammar of design, same design. And I say to myself, okay, why not get the OG? You know, if the price is affordable and I'm able to source it, I should try my best to get myself one. You know, so that that idea of of that collecting the OG of the the same product line, um, he actually keep continues to other different brands or different watches that I have. So, you know, in terms of like first of all product line, I have like Cartier Santos Dumont, where which is the first Palace watch as you guys know, and I have the the first sports watch is a Jaeger Le Cool uh, Reversal nineteen thirty one. Um, I also have a first sort of a Legend Diver with a no date uh, from Long Jeans and Grand Seiko even. So Grand Seiko, I have the first Grand Seiko. Or even like, even like Lange, Lange like got, you know, the digital watch. The first digital digital watch from the Lange product line is a Zywork. Mm-hmm. No. So, you know, that actually, cause sort of like, uh, I realized that pattern later on. Like, hey, I have all this watch, but they always have this sort of pattern. You know, and why is that, right? So I think I think the original design or first line in the product series has most of uh, sort of marketing advertisement exposure, right? Because you know they want to push the first one because the first one usually difficult, more difficult to push out. But then again, then then exposure comes with a story. So I think uh, having that story attached to the watch that I bought, I think is just is cool. So that's that's actually why I collect the the the, the first in product line. It's a really, watches. it's a really interesting way to look at that. And I just wanted to do something very quickly. I don't want to spend more than more than thirty seconds, one minute on this, but really quickly, let's run through because you're looking at that slightly differently, and I actually quite like it. But I think we're going to circle back something here. So if I say a brand name, what's the first thing, first watch that comes to your mind? So if I say JLC, what is it? Reversal. Reverso. If I say Cartier, then uh, tank, tank. Tank. Yeah. If I say tank, Rolex, um, Submariner. Submariner. Uh, Audemars Piguet. Royal. What about fifth uh, Patek Philippe? I would say Perpetual Calendar. Okay. See, I would say Calatrava. Adam. Oh, Calatrava. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, is there any more? If you said Grand Seiko, personally, because I'm not, I don't know enough about them. I would say Snowflake, and I think that's not great. But what's Grand Seiko for you guys? Adam, want to go first? I have no idea. Good <laughs> <laughs> thing from I the sixties. Yeah, um, the grand would, design. Yeah, I would say forty-four KS, okay. or or you know what? I would say VFA because I have it. So I'll okay. call, I'll. I'll yeah, and long jeans is that, that's a tough one, but probably maybe the the skin diver, the uh, the legend. 
Um, I say the legend diver for me because yeah. I have it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is there any others, Adam, that come to your mind? Just brands that Vashon, Vashon, ooh, Vinny, the Vinny, the Vinny, the Vinny inside me wants to say the tradition now, but I'd probably go with the overseas. Just in general, um, I'd say two, 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 two. Yeah, well. I'll- yeah, that's overseas. Um, I'll, I'll see the I'll see the driver's watch and uh, American American American. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, cool, nice. Oh, anyway, we'll leave that there. Oh, but I thought that was just interesting that you're looking at it a different way. Yet most of the way you're looking at it is the same as what the the broader well, what our minds think when we think of that. So, um, thank you. Yeah. So there's one particular let's call it icon family where you have three specimens, and that is the royal oak. So you know. Why is the Royal Oak so special to you? And why did you pick these particular specimens? Like, for instance, what you're wearing today is an interesting quartz watch, which is 33 millimeters, uh, probably great for golf. Um, why, why is the Royal Oak really your favorite icon, it seems? Yeah, I, full disclosure here, I have a three, I, I, I have a, I have other, I have, a, I, have, I have a lot of other watches, but. Okay. Um, Sorry. No, no worries, no worries. But the Royal Oak is actually is is pretty cool. Um, the re- reason for that is that actually very early in my watch collecting journey, I really wasn't into Royal Oak or Audemars Piguet at all, right? I I, I saw it on pictures, okay, that's fine. But uh, this one day, I found myself at the Taipei One One at the AP boutique, mm-hmm. and then was I was just walking around, and then okay, we all that AP, and then. It was back. This is probably I mean, give give a date year context is probably better because it was nineteen. Sorry, not nineteen. Sorry, uh, two thousand eighteen, I think, uh, or late two thousand seventeen, where where um you know you can actually go into AP boutique and can actually try on the the jumbo and the fifteen two hundred two. You know you can actually you actually can kill yourself. You can actually get yourself in line or you can make sure you buy watches like uh, $15,450 at a time. So I stumbled myself up into the store and uh, the moment I put a jumbo on my wrist and uh, I was hooked. I never really thought that I would actually like the watch, but the experience of like APPT really makes me feel complete. Like I feel really good about the watch after I left the store. So that actually what was what, what that's what was what changed my mind about the watch. And but then really why I have those three watches. Um uh the first one came in as a dual time because I at the time I think um I was looking for use AP. Because uh, I, I I realized that if I was to get a three hand, I think one day if I get a three hand I'll probably be bored. Um because I, I don't know. I think that's usually that is tactic or strategy they try to use, right? It's saying like um, you want to buy a three hand first as an entry, but but maybe you get bored of it, and then you actually want to want to get more complication afterward. So when the first dual time came in, um, sorry, I forgot reference number, but uh, um, and then and then so so I went to I actually got a pre-owned shop. And it's a JLC movement. It's a 36 millimeter. It's great. And and then um, I think the reason why I have a baby oak is because um, I really, uh, yeah, it's a, a, a few things. Is like when I actually first I looked uh, pro oak, it was I actually going to the used market. 
And then this being the cheap, was the cheapest one, right? Because of these quotes, it's um, it, it, it's it's a small, so not a lot of people want it. But I read I read into like smaller watches because I I think they are actually they fit under my cuff, and it's really good for me. So um, I was looking for this this actual actual watch. The the baby oak is actually for very first AP and tried to hunt afterward. And um, and and then it, most of the, most of these baby oak, especially Tantalon, actually mostly in Japan because they they apparently sell a lot of those in Japan. Hmm. I couldn't find it, couldn't source it. And one day it show up in the in the pre-owned shop in Taiwan. So I actually okay, yeah, there's no brand, so I got it. And also at the same time, I said I was going into golf. And last one, the fifteen four fifty, it actually just it sells sort of like what the switch. Switch switch watch gang say when AP calls you, mm-hmm. um, you you just say yes. So that's what <laughs> happened, right? So I and I I have, I put I put myself on the list and they could call me. Yeah, I I just go and pick it up and then and because it's a hype watch, I really don't want to wear it. And then and then it happens to be Father's Day, so I I actually gave it to my dad um, on Father's Day, uh, the fifteen uh, four fifty. But he has no idea what's the value of that watch. So, and he's a blue collar guy, so he he's been abusing it, and and then he I think his lifestyle really doesn't doesn't work with the uh, with uh, with the watches. He's probably more of a like maybe Tudor or Rolex guy. So I actually also actually he was wearing my baby oak for a while because um because you know he plays golf, so he was wearing wearing my baby oak for a while. Then um, and then he said, you know, ten ton is too heavy, so mm-hmm. I gave him a Casio. So now he's really happy with a Casio, and he doesn't have to work, work, worry about the time, adjust the time now. So yeah, sorry, long story, but uh, this is how I go through watches. <laughs> oh, interesting. Each has a special story, and so I guess uh, your last purchase was a two hander. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> 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 Are there any other uh, you know, particular icons where you've really wanted to have different examples of them? You felt that they're, uh, they're so special to you that you've wanted to, to have more than one? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, um, I have five grand cycles. Um, most of them are vintage. One is modern. And, uh, and they are actually all icons. And I, mm-hmm. I really think we mentioned about Royal Oak. I think it really ties in well with the grand cycles because... Because you guys know, um, Green Seiko and King Seiko was was created to be the Swiss industry, right? So the the so when they actually invented quotes and the, the, the and also at the same time the the VFA was created to to be the Swiss with in terms of like accuracy, mechanical accuracy, the high beats movement, the the. I think it was like uh, um, I think twenty second per month or two second within one or two second per month and uh, 12 minutes per year. The accuracy of VFA was actually amazing. And then they invented Quartz Watch. So then the Quartz Watch came, it's Quartz Crisis. And then I actually, that, so that's actually Grain Seiko, Seiko, King Seiko, and that uh, Team Spirits where they, they were fighting with the Suwa Daini factory and Suwa Daini factory and came up with uh, the great mechanical movement. And then they came up with Quartz, also competing to get come up with a Quartz Watch. And then the Swiss, Swiss Swiss industry kind of watch is kind of like in trouble, right? And then the Royal Oak came out as a as a sort of like 
change people's perception about watches where you know you, you look at steel steel bracelet watch you don't think of it as like a, a rare metal uh you know like gold but actually they are they, they, they price them more differently they price them almost uh, actually more than a gold watch or you know a, a rose gold watch whatever a platinum watch because it's even though it's a standard steel because that, that for me it actually that that's a turning point that's why people think world is so iconic because it's a turning point during the cross crisis that people they want to change people's perspective about luxury items it actually so you actually watch start representing a people's um as a luxury that that changed that perception idea watch is no longer a tool where in japan they are still making a bunch of quartz watch being a tool watch so i think there's actually a good tie-in between brain cycle and 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 the royal mm -hmm. oak Elma Bigay, where both of them changed industry at the history history power of the time time frame you know so that's yeah. that's also pretty pretty cool they really interact with each other with them yeah, they do. Influencing each other and their actions having consequences for the opposite one. Huh, yeah. Interesting. Well, I didn't realize you had all those Grand Psychos in your collection. Um, so you know, you've had the experience of seeing a lot of collections, uh, really through two channels, one through Red Bar Taiwan, and then two through your podcast, you've seen and heard about uh, other collections. Are there any interesting collecting philosophies that you've heard um, that you know, people have approaches to collecting that you think would be interesting for other people to learn about? Because for instance, your, your approach to collecting about wanting to have the, the original version of each of these watches is, is an interesting approach. Are there any other approaches that you just come across in all your encounters? Yeah, I think, I think based, based on the different culture or based on different um, collecting journey, like mm -hmm. it, it, all of us are on different journey, right? You know, so, so I, that the, the philosophy is different, but I think for example, for instance, uh, let, 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 let's say I take a uh, Taiwan, Taiwan as a culture, as a, as a perspective where they're, they're, they're different. Um, I think, I think both Taiwan or maybe China is similar in a way, because the, what, the key point here is a language barrier. Mm -hmm. So, most of Taiwanese collectors uh, are led by mediums, you know, and then you know, watch mediums or watch media, and the, or even like watch stores. You know, now watch stores are become medium themselves. So they always have a business or the agenda behind it, hmm. but they are led by they they are led by them, or also as well they led by KOLs, you know, key opinion leaders. So that's a you know similar in a way in like Hollywood star, uh, but but it all depends on what kind of collector they are. I mean, people don't you know people in the U.S. or people in in the meet different different culture. They are also influenced by stars, but you know <laughs> you know but watch nerds like that's probably less like, of impact. You know? Austin, for instance, is a <laughs> KOL. You know, he's not a movie star. He's just known for being a watch collector. Austin yes. Chu. Yeah. So so. But but mostly, if I'm talking to my circle, I'm talking about my circle, you know, there's not a lot of watching enthusiasts, um, mediums, drag driven in mediums. So that philosophy of the local Taiwan collector is mostly um, sort of like 
flex watches uh, in my opinion because in it still right now they still think of like having flex watch watches is actually a flex you know having like rolex is a flex but having patek is a flex you know it, it, so so that's why they 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 are driven by that because there's so much money behind it, right? You know, you look at premium market, you know, who doesn't want a high flows watch up? So that, I guess that's why that's why the, all those watch watch price goes crazy. So I, I think the philosophy here, also I'm trying to change it. I'm trying to make people think like, hey, watch collecting is not people trying to be showing their wealth and they're not trying to, to flex um, because because I think watch collecting could be just a hobby that we you know as a man or or, or woman that we, we we like mechanical things we like um, collecting things that actually you know make us happy and when we look at it, it will make us happy. A lot of time for me is like I a lot of people who knows me doesn't even know I wear nice watches because I I work I wear a shirt when I, I wear long sleeve a lot of time and most of my watches are actually under my sleeves under my cuff but a lot of people don't see it but i'm collecting watches just for myself you know i look at my wrist and i'm happy and, and you know that's something i collect i can I, I told a lot of people like hey you know wearing watches kind of having your bank account you're wearing your bank account i mean the, the saving in your bank account instead of saving it you can you can put it on your wrist you can actually look at it every day so that that actually um, sort of um, I'm trying the philosophy I'm trying to change is the flex culture here. So I think I think I can't say for too many collectors, mm-hmm. but in terms of like demographic that I am, it's um, it's it's sort of a flex culture, and then trying to starting in Red Taiwan is something that I actually trying to start trying trying to influence or trying to change here the perception of people here. Yeah, has the pandemic had any influence on flex culture and made it? disappear because of, of people's hard times i think it's making it worse i mean yeah look at the 5711 <laughs> the green dial crazy yeah. is everybody sitting at home look at watches auction houses <laughs> yeah one of the things i was going to say is um i haven't spoken about this for a little while but when i when i started getting really 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 deep into watches and started the podcast i, I looked at my collection i started to think what what do you think is something that's going to be interesting in the long run, but also is going to make me happy in the long run? And and look, I was fortunate enough to, you know, my BLNR I bought back in 2016 on my honeymoon from the, an hourglass in KL. And, you know, I was lucky. I walked in and, and literally they had one coming overnight. No one had picked it up and I walked out with it. You know, those stories, they're so few and far between. And so I cherish that watch, even though I've tried to sell it a few times in my head, but Luckily, people brought me back down to earth. But one of the my collecting philosophy, which unfortunately at the moment has just been skewing back to Switzerland, which I really want to get out of. Um, but I wanted to do a collection of watches from around the world because I think there's there's a certain aspect of diversification that comes with collecting from all over the world. So at the moment, I've got I've got Austria, I've got Germany, I've got Switzerland, I've got um, Japan. And so there's there's others that I'd like to get in the future that might be, you know, Danish or um, American. There's some Australian. There's some more Japanese and Chinese that I'd like to to look at as well. But for me, I thought that was a really interesting way to hmm. grow a collection. And it's going to be a very long term thing. I'm not in any hurry to to get it. I'd love a French watch as well because I know there's a lot of them and the UK. England, there's a lot of great watches. I'd love a, a, a Welsh watch, but that's probably not going to happen from Roger Smith. 
but anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I thought that 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 was uh, you know I'm still doing it, but unfortunately the last two watches have come from Switzerland. I already had Swiss watches, so I really need to break that and get get back into what I was focusing on in the first place. Anyway, interesting. I have kind of a, a sub hobby of collecting Indian watches. Um, so my last oh, yeah. incoming was uh, from India, a Titan Edge. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Um, are there any other philosophies you've seen? So that's one philosophy, flux collecting. Are there any other kind of, of niches where there's a cluster of people doing something? I, I find it really interesting, like um, a bunch of um, Singapore um, watch groups, uh, watch collectors are starting a bunch of um, Kickstarters and micro brands. So... <laughs> And I think around uh, also speaking for Red Bar, like around the globe, like almost every Red Bar club, there's a, a few of them starting a micro brand themselves. So Red Bar Taiwan has one, is launching soon, and Red Bar Singapore, who recently established, they also have a few of them. So I think that micro brand in Southeast Asia, who we, we Southeast Asia or Asia, East Asia, where we we have access to, maybe factories in. Uh, in, in China or the, or maybe a movement in Japan, you know, is that great combination of two make a really affordable, well-made watches that actually can be, you know, shared with the world, especially, you know, if you have a little bit of money. So think of like, you want to collect uh, a Royal Oak, but instead of collecting that, you just, you know, use that money to start your own watch brand and you create your own legacy. You know, that is something really interesting too. So that's a, as a sort of like some of the watch collecting or some of the watch club members I've seen throughout the, the Asia or Sinosphere here. So that that's a one philosophy I would point out. And for the benefit of our listeners, can you share the names of some of these watches and brands? I think Singapore, I think recently starting one, um, actually not only, sorry, they're not, maybe not only Singapore, but Asian American per se, there's a couple in Canada as well. So mm-hmm. I think my, I think, York and Front um, was was actually recently introduced. Um, it's it's also a brand that actually started out by Asian American in Canada, mm-hmm. and uh, I think um, I think Atelier Wen is I think is a mm-hmm. really really hot topic nowadays. It's actually a couple of Frenchmen who study in China, who um, think that Chinese craft is great. That people should be looking into it. So they actually they use a lot of things to like move. Move, use a lot of things or material or movement actually um, source in China or case case factory are built in China. The watches are built in China, so because they think that China can also build good quality watches. Um, yeah, there's a, a bunch of them in Singapore. Um, yeah, so yeah, I won't go into too many of them, but uh, this is just a couple I can think on top of my head that's actually more sort of unique and cool. Interesting. So uh, China has an interesting history with watch movements in that there was basically this uh, nationalization of movement production. There's this Tongji movement where there was like everyone the same machine and everyone made the same movement. And now there's you know, Tianjin Siegel and there's these other brands. They're kind of a legacy of that. To what extent has that appeared? And uh, why don't we see more of it? What, what, okay, yeah, that's a, that. That's the thing. I think it's mostly marketing. I would have to say. I mean, I think, I think that Atelier Wing, what, what they're trying to do, they're trying to change the perception, right? They actually mm-hmm. try, the, the China actually make good stuff, and then, you know, I think, I think, I think they, they learn from they what they 
what it did in China is like there's a bad rep because of you know they make a lot of replica watches and you know, for Rolex or for the, you know for for AP or whatever brand out there they can make really great replicas. So so people can actually think okay they have good craft but they have a bad marketing that therefore that's why they're replicating other people's marketing watch. So they replicating hype watch or it's automatic marketing for themselves, right? So I think that's where you know that 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 line draws. I think it's like great watch makers, but um, you know they doesn't have a great rep. That's why. Yeah, I think it, it reminds me when I had a chat to Hanu, who's the founder and owner of Aventi Watches, and you know I, I did get to see them in the flesh, um, and to be completely honest, I was absolutely blown away with what what he could produce from the movement manufacturing in China. And, you know, they're going on to do some other stuff now in Switzerland. And, you know, they I, I think they're doing some great stuff, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised. And I, I think it is time that the stigma sort of started to go away because more and more rumors are coming out of Switzerland about where, where production is actually really done. And just because the Swiss mother company owns that then that claims that it's swiss made and you know whatever percentages and and i think that people just need to be open and honest about it and, and if that's one thing that aventi has done really well is they they never stood behind the fact that these watches were being made in china but to a very high level for a very reasonable price and they've they've got some outstanding negotiating skills um, but if you ever get a chance to come across one, if you haven't yet, just check them out because they, they're just doing some really, really, and to have a tourbillon <laughs> titanium case, uh, for, you know, two grand us, like it's just, it's just insane. What, and it makes you think, it really makes you think why, <laughs> why are we paying $200,000 for a sapphire case tourbillon when another company can do the same thing for say $10,000 us? And the 30x time is exactly what you've just said then. It's the marketing. It's the Swiss marketing that they can do that the Chinese, I don't think, can do. That's the gap. And I'm hoping that over time it sort of gets smaller and smaller. Have either of you experienced an Aventi before? Yeah. Joe, no. have you seen one? No. Well, if you get a chance, have a look. Sure, we'll do that. Yeah. So are there any independents in Taiwan? I must say, a lot of uh, watch manufacturing, before they actually moved to China, they were in Taiwan. And uh, then they moved to China. There's a, a, still a few factories here in Taiwan, but they are actually slowing dying in, in a way. Um, but when let's factory solve. So, so it could be a business opportunity for someone to tap into it and then you know make some independent watches. Um, I, it's funny how my cousin actually works in one of those factories, hmm. and I always tell him I should go go for a factory visit, or maybe you can make a, a sort of like a club watch or something like you know local club watch or something. So I should, but um, there are a few independent watch makers here in Taiwan. But they all, they didn't really make their watches. They they should you know they modified the movements and and uh, yeah yeah cool. I but um, yeah or or they just in America we still call it an independent. Oh okay, <laughs> we still call it American. You know most of our independents are not really made in America, so that counts. Continue, continue. Sorry. Yeah 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 yeah. So uh, yeah, I I will I will I will not name them, but. Um, 
there's a one there there's one uh what Taiwanese um independent watchmaker he he move he makes a lot of interesting watch it looks like um has a escape miniature on on top of a dial it's mm. really cool um but that like i can see, if you see in detail like what we see as a watch nerd like the the screw is actually not really good it's just they are they probably good at making it but not really good at marketing it or not good at the product photo of it they are actually really focus on making a watch so yeah they they are there but they just not not qualified to me <laughs> as a as a really great watches so that's why Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, uh, you should have seen what happened with Shinola. We had this allegedly American-made watches, and they really weren't. And so the government went after them and they had to change all their marketing. Um, <laughs> it was an adventure for that brand. So, uh, you know, one of the other things that we do see you know, made made in Taiwan, made in China, made in Singapore is media. There's There's a Mandarin watch media, of which you're a part, and fortunately, people like myself that don't have the competency in Mandarin to really fully enjoy these shows and, and watch the horror guides videos and, you know, just absorb everything can't digest 100% of this. What can the, the fifth wrist listener learn from the, the Mandarin watch media? Are there any tricks of the trade that we should consider bringing over to our shows? Uh, or just different approaches that you've seen that you thought, oh, this would be cool, but these guys don't know about this because they haven't watched this or heard this. That's a, that's a good question. <laughs> that's a very good question. I can't... Okay, so yes, there's a, there's a media around here, but um, most of it has a business agenda or a marketing agenda, right? <laughs> but I would recommend horror guy because i think they are sort of to me or to me i think they are i feel they are the the houdinki of mentoring collection so the reason i say that is because they they stay they, they're actually more of a, a media that actually being used in terms of like a sort of like medium tool mm-hmm. one thing is that is um, a lot of uh, dealers or uh, uh, they use it as a, so so they have a price list there they have a like a social sentimental sentiment trending. So what's what's actually what's that what's that called? Sendex. So sentimental index. So what that means is like <laughs> uh, what's actually popular. What's being said. Like for example, like sort of social listening. Like what's popular now. Let's say if a if a if a if a KOL spoke about some watches, there's a ranking. So why it works is like there's a ranking of the watches. If yeah, someone says something and then in the social media it will pop up that watch. So that that ranking of that watch goes up. So and then there's a price list for dealer to look at. So reference prices there. So everybody, like even everybody in Mandarin watch collecting use their 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 what their medium as a website as a tool to 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 do to do watch checking. Uh, but in terms of like what can Western learn from the East, I really can't say much because i think most of the time the, the english watch medium are actually the leaders of of all the watches yeah if they are if not french right because <laughs> you know we all know switzerland they they dominate in like either french or german uh, french is a dominant language for, for for i think for for swiss watchmakers so so therefore therefore i think mandarin are actually always trying to play play translation or catch up 
you know, even like press releases probably in English and then they try to translate in, in Mandarin. So I would say we we are the catch up here. But uh, um, I in terms of what we what Western can learn, I at the moment I think uh, none at the moment. <laughs> Because uh, certainly it's the main market for in terms of, of sales. So if you look at just the value of the exports, the amount of, of watches in the Mandarin-speaking world are, are colossal. Number one market is, is, is China. Uh, then speaking Cantonese, number three market Hong Kong. Number five market Singapore. Um, mm. You know, then going on down the list, number twelve market Taiwan. Uh, it's there's really a lot of watches being sold on a per capita basis. Taiwanese are spending. 10 times more money in watches than Americans. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the <laughs> big business. Yeah, I know. Right. But uh, you, you think about, you no, know, now we all realize that Taiwan is such a important pieces for the global uh, chip manufacturing system. Right. So, you know, all those uh, tech entrepreneurs or manufacturer chip entrepreneurs, they all have a bunch of money. So they were able to, they're able to, you know, make the money and buy the more, more watches. I, I think for, for Asian, I think for Asia, I think Taiwan is quite mature in, in a way, um, in, in a way in terms of watch collecting. The uh, reason I say that is because there are actually a lot of really cool, um, unique pieces that I've seen at Rebar Taiwan that uh, that you don't really see a lot of them in the world. Like I've seen prototype Rolexes. I've seen, you know, a bunch of, a couple, no, I won't say a bunch, Philippe <laughs> Dufour's here, you know, uh, Roger Smith and uh, some of the independent watches here, but but I think in terms of like China, they are actually catching coming up, right? And we also like we will say we will see that the economy getting good. They are you know becoming one of, soon to becoming one of the uh, projected to become the one of the biggest economy in the world, right? The, it's the a bigger media, watch economy than the United States. Yeah, in yeah, terms of the exports. Yeah, I think they they are in that different journey, right? They are in the journey. So, oh, okay, I have a little bit of money. I earn a little bit more income. So maybe I should, um, no, I can look in. I have a more disposable income now compared to maybe ten years ago in China, and then they actually spending that money as like sort of everybody trying to start out as a watch collecting. So they actually have more spending at the moment. Plus, there's a there's a China, Hong Kong. There's a tax issues. There's a Things that people actually go to Hong Kong, buy more watches, and bring back to mainland as a sort of like money transfer, you know, in a way. This is kind of the underhand kind of stuff. Is um, but there is a lot of that actually going on because of you, it's hard to move money out of China. So <laughs> so watches, you know, is so easy. You know, you buy a Richard Mille, you move out of China, you move money out. So there's a there's a lot of Richard Mille collectors in China. Oh so yeah, so as well so not not saying that they are using it to transfer money but you know you can see like it's really easy now well let's chat about let's chat about red bar because and and maybe we'll probably start to wrap up soon but uh, um i know adam did want to ask about red bar um and just maybe i'll ask the question how did you go about sort of founding that and i suppose why i mean we talked just a tiny bit about it before we started but why did you why did you start red bar taiwan Sure, sure, sure. I think I think we all like my other people. Uh, the Red Bar Taiwan was actually inspired by me going to going to China and in Shanghai for business trip, and then I it just happened that that time during that weekend they had the watch uh, Shanghai Watch Festival. So when I when I actually arrived at Shanghai Watch Festival, 
I was there for two days and I was able to talk to everybody and, you know, put Instagram handle to their faces and you know, all like, <laughs> so I, so that actually inspired me because the, the, the difference between that festival than other watch festival is that it's actually driven by, uh, driven by the enthusiast. So that's a grain Seiko didn't want to, or Seiko didn't want to show up at the festival. So they have a bunch of enthusiasts you know, offer their watch to, to be on display. So, so that's a Seiko booth. They just put a, put a Seiko booth there because um, because they are such an enthusiast, enthusiast they want to show it to everybody. So then, and and that said, that, that actually inspired me with my podcast, you know, and I think I think we, we actually really like-minded as well with a fifth wrist as well. And that connection I made and the friendship I made at the Shanghai actually, you know, met me, led me to know the founder of Reba Shanghai, Shanghai. So Jonathan, uh, if you're listening. So, um, so he, he, he actually reached out to me and say, Hey, we have a Reba Shanghai here. You know, do you want to start a, a club in Taiwan? You should be a representative of a Reba Taiwan. And I was like, I was, I was really busy at work. I was like, no, this is a, a big undertaking for one person. And then I realized, you know, when, when you think of things too big as I do at work, then you kind of break down into small pieces. And then I, I did. So I, I break out small pieces and realize, okay, yeah, you know what? I, I do organize watch gathering for like small group of people. All I need to do is just scale it bigger. So so I still need to make the booking place. You know, I still need to, you know, call up, tell, let, let people know. But it's just instead of like, um, instead of like managing for three or six people, now I'm managing for maybe 30 or 60 people. So that that's how I started, and I was like, okay, well, maybe that's that's not as bad as I think, and then and then let's see how he why he leads me to, and so I, that's how I actually started Red Bar Taiwan. Yeah, that's awesome. I really think that Red Bar is is such a really interesting concept globally, and it, it's really this coming together. And what I what I think I've enjoyed about Red Bar over time is Red Bar doesn't have to just be the center of communities and things like that and i think from red bar red bar was the sort of the top chain and then from red bar there was all these subcult not subculture but sub communities that come out that still ultimately all find themselves back at red bar but then there's these other little groups that shoot off that meet a little bit more regularly or or less regularly or it's a it's a tight group of say 10 people that catch up but they all still go to red bar so i, I think that's that's also just such a, a cool thing that red bar has done for the global community and and something that they should be commended for as well which which i think is great um, but i, I do want to ask about your podcast so um I think, you know, as a podcast host myself and, and enjoying the the benefits of just talking to so many wonderful people in the community around the world, for you, what's what's been the, the, the most favorite or most memorable sort of part of your podcast? Oh. Because oh, I, I know hope. there's so many. <laughs> I, I hope, uh, I hope uh, my previous guest is not listening to this uh, podcast. <laughs> um. I at the moment I, I think um I think I will have to go with the the OG. I think that's that's me. I guess I, I have to I have to thank the person who actually helped me uh, um led me this journey. So the the first the very first episode I did with uh, Lewis, I think he goes by his IG handle of uh, Lewis Case underscore KCH six. Sorry, it's not re- IG recommendation at the moment, but he he actually okay. inspired me. 
So he actually, actually sort of ins- not only inspired me, but he led me into his small watch gathering to, to from start from from the, from the get go or my watch collecting. And that's that's actually you know for me it's very sentimental, right? So that's why I also invite me invited him as my first guest. You know, without him, I probably won't won't go to Shanghai. Because he he helped me bridge that connection between uh, the, the Shanghai watch Shanghai watch uh, gang watch watch people, and then and then that's why I went to Shanghai's watch festival. Um, also, he, he bridged that. Uh, also, he he showed me what what gathering was about, what it looks like, and he, so he started a few. So he he also invited me as like when I was a really small watch collector, I didn't have a lot of watches in my collection. He still invited me there, and then he he. he he also let me uh, let me. He he's one of the first collector of Chrono Tokyo, so he has got that actual dial color Chrono Tokyo. <laughs> so and that let me buy the Mori and Rewa, you know, the Chrono yeah. Tokyo. So and all the time it wasn't really high popular. It wasn't really hype up uh, as much as nowadays. But uh, yeah, you know. He 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 start he, he basically kickstart me and with, without him I don't know if Robert would be here without him I would I don't know why we have a podcast so that's yeah. why I should go back to for me it's sentimental that he's the, being the first guest being my mentor and that's why I would say the first one. Beautiful, Adam. What about you? Is there is there a moment or is there is there something that is just really memorable for you? And then maybe I'll go after sure. you. Sure. So keeping in the red bar theme, my quote unquote initiation to this whole fifth wrist thing was an episode where they interviewed Adam Craniotis mm. and he did a collection inspection of my collection without <laughs> me there. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm like on wow. a podcast and I've got Adam Craniotis commenting on all my watches. And I was like, oh, these, you know, these are interactive things and I can do this and be part of this whole thing. And you know, here yeah. I am. And so uh, thank you, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I think I think for me, I mean, I, I couldn't put it to one because I've just had so many wonderful moments. And that, that is what I think I've enjoyed so much is the feeling I get sometimes and, and a lot of times when you, you finish the podcast and it's, it's almost like an, an adrenaline rush of just great connection and communication with people literally you you some most of the time i don't even see them it's just audio and we're on different parts of the globe in in different places different languages yet we still come together around this one little thing that goes on our wrist that we're all so fascinated with and i for me it's just that that connection but there's just been so many wonderful moments like interviewing Ed Malan from Moza was was really cool. And since then, I've had a virtual tour of the Moza factory, which is about as good as it gets for someone that sits down way down in the bottom of Australia, which is so far away from anything. Um, so yeah, th- there's been so many wonderful moments, but I think it's overall, it's that connection. And again, just like this, Joe, now, you know, now we, 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 we share a, a watch, all three of us share <laughs> different watches and, you know, we share podcasting and watch collecting. It's just, it's just awesome. It really is. Yeah. I just want to echo back what, uh, what Anthony was saying is that maybe this is not necessary, a podcast, uh, whole guest, but this is when I actually was in Shanghai. And you know the Shanghai Festival was was I think I think three days, or, or two days, I forgot. 
but because I think I, oh yeah, it's three days from Friday to uh, Sunday. So I saw when I when I arrived on Saturday, I saw uh, Max Bruiser was a NBA MBAF booth, oh, and yeah. I was there for two days, and he was there standing for two days. He was <laughs> so happy to talk to every collector for as long as they want. You know, you know, think about Max Bruiser MBAF. And one of those uh, key person in the Indies in Switzerland or in the world, right? He's he's there in Shanghai, just standing there just to talk to anybody who comes by. And he, I was so happy that he was able. He who wants we can, we can have a conversation face to face for like thirty minutes plus, just talk about you know his journey and see how he can convey his, uh, his passion in his watches to uh, to to me. That actually also hmm. one of the reason, one of like reason why you know what I should I should. Uh, this is so so passionate. These these people are so happy to be here, and everybody's a happy face. And and uh, listen to what Mess Boozer says to uh, talk about is always a treat. To be honest. Oh yeah, 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 definitely. Rada Adam, any more questions before we start to wrap up? Yeah, so I guess this is edging towards wrapping up, but. Uh... We've talked a lot about connecting. We've talked a lot about about Red Bar Taiwan, about uh, the Biawas podcast, about you know, other podcasts and, and media and sites that are popular in Taiwan and other places in the Mandarin-speaking world. You know, some of our, our listeners do speak Mandarin and can read Chinese. How should we connect? How should we learn more about this, this universe of, of watch content? And for the people that want to delve more into it, what do you recommend? Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. You, you, funny, funny how Adam you ask this question because I I tend to ask uh, a lot of my podcast guests this question. Um, so I say, hey, how you guys were exposed to the watch media? And how 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 you guys learn? And um, funny enough, a lot of us we actually like you know we we actually dual dual language like bilingual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so a lot of time we we read English publications. So. When that happens, there's not a lot of um, cultural definitions. Like there's not like everybody sort of come to some similar path. And then now, given that social media, Instagram is there, it is basically people. Most of watch people are on there, so that actually also sort of like um, how do you say? It actually is sort of like echo chamber. And you know, in in a way, whereas um, in a moment, yeah, that's why I think. Um, but in terms of like um, watch, in Mandarin, which watch board, I, I yeah, sites I, to I, read like Hodinkee equivalents and competitors, and yeah, blog to watch competitors and things of that nature. Yeah, the other thing about it is um, a lot of local watch collector here they are on Facebook, like mm-hmm. they they actually started out before Instagram. They started out on Facebook. You know, remember, like before Instagram, people was, people want to show off the watch. They go to Instagram, um, uh, sorry, Facebook private groups or <laughs> Facebook groups to talk about watches. So, and then a lot of those collector was early adapters because they are more mature. They have more, yeah. So they are actually older. So they, therefore, these on that platform. So they allow. So I would say Facebook to start a Facebook group, Facebook watch group to start. But uh, um, most more of a Western media flavor is actually on Instagram. I, I think uh, this is also reason why it makes Japan so unique in a way, because uh, 
you know, Japan, Japanese is similar to like a French. Like they actually, you know, if they can speak Japanese, they won't try to speak English. So I think that's why also maybe Houdinki is in Japan, right? Because Japan, has, they have this vertical integration with all this manufacturing. You know, those people working in Japan understand the intricacy of how watch mechanic works and how to actually manufacture it in them. That's why that that's why a lot of a lot of uh, brands, a lot of indie, indie brands actually start in Japan because those people are actually craft craftsmen actually understand and appreciate how difficult is it is it is to make those watches. But but similar to like sort of um, maybe I, I can't say much. Like similar to French is like mm-hmm. they 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 actually in the language barrier sort of protected within as well. Like why there's no Houdinki China, right? Think about it for a second. Even though, given uh, no, no, the Chinese population is so big, right? Market so big. Why does Houdinki Japan? Is that because you know Japan can, can self serve, like, and then but that makes them really unique as a collecting culture. Uh, so I think if one day you guys can interview some some podcast uh, guests from Japan, it will be it will be cooler because that that distinctive difference is actually more 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 visible there in Japan. I think also in the European sense, I think it, Italy also is sort of a different from from Europe in in in, in a way. That's why I heard, but I can't. I, I that's why I heard. I can't. I can't say speak much for for that. But uh, as for Asia, I think Japan make make Japan really unique. Very interesting. Yeah, I guess one last one again. This may be really off base, but does the Great Firewall of China kind of create any sort of divide between the Taiwan and China collecting communities? Is like there's Instagram access issues, Facebook access issues in mainland China. I mean, people hop the firewall, but not everyone does. And are there places people get together outside of of these kind of forbidden sites? Yeah, yeah, that that's a that's a great question. China have their own different medium, right? You know, you have a you have Facebook in in Western. They have Renzhen. Uh, they have other like WeChat. They have other stuff that's reside in China. And um, I have to say, I I don't. I, and on, on the other side of the Great Wall, so I can't. I really can't speak much for China. Uh, China China's uh, uh, the medium or, or or their influences there. But I what, what I can say is most of the thought leaders uh, in China are people like like um, like like us in a way where we bilingual. We are fluent in bilingual. So if if the thought leaders are influenced by the bilingual. Um, hmm. Uh, culture or third culture kid, if I would say, and if they're influenced by that, you know, then then you can see it's still the English mediums that leads the culture. I will have to say leads to collecting uh, philosophy as well. Yeah, uh, but maybe that will change. They will actually divide and change. But in the moment, that's why I can say and think at the moment. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, interesting, interesting. All right, we might go to some Instagram recommendations. So uh, why don't we start with our guest? So Joe, who is your Instagram recommendation for this episode? Yep, I will say, first one, I will say horror guys, as we mentioned about him. Then they are the Mandarin watch collecting of uh, sort of Houdinki in a way. So I, I will I look at them as, um, as, a, as, a, as a great sources. Like they have a great uh, watch YouTube videos that they make. And obviously, they have great photos. They are watch medium, 
but uh, mm-hmm. but they are actually a lot of useful tools. To, you want to find price reference, you want to find what's popular now, or they, they provide a lot of tools uh, for watch collecting. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. So horror guides. Um, I was already yeah. following them, which is great. It looks like they're not quite as big as Hodinky yet, but I'm sure that one day they, they're going to get there. Um, Adam, yeah. what about you? So I'd recommend Red Bar Taiwan. And, uh, you know, I think the reason why this is special is you can see all the people that are collecting and meeting up and what they're doing. And oftentimes the Taiwanese collectors are tagged in the photos. So if you want to just get a sense of, of what's actually happening in the ground, um, mm. it's a great way to do so. There is one uh, famous face from Hodinki that seems to be visiting Taiwan a lot lately who has shown up as well in some of these photos. Um, Oh, really? And, uh, Who is that? Morgan King. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to name him, but yes. <laughs> okay. He seems yeah, to be yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. well-traveled lately. So, um, so yeah, I think it's a cool way to just understand what's happening on the ground. That is very, very cool. I, I To be honest, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm now a follower, but I wasn't before. Um, but yeah, that's a fantastic way to, again, just link the connections to the people and to the Instagram profiles and stuff. So very cool. Very well done. Was that your idea, Joe, to do the photos like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Ah, well done. Yeah. That's really, really cool. Really cool. All right. So Red Bar Taiwan, get around it. Uh, mine today is rare underscore horology. So R-A-R-E underscore horology. Um, and this guy is, he's got quite just a very interesting collection. Um, it doesn't have a, a huge amount of followers and only 72 posts, but I just think people, when you see a Chopard Torbjorn next to a Debethun, next to a Kodoke, next to a, a Langa One, a, an F.P. Jean, a Moser, like the list is just bonkers and I and I, I do think one of the things I look at this collection and there's really not not hype watches there, there's some massive heavy 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 hitters in this collection but none of them are really all right maybe the green the the submariner um but but again that's probably just part of the journey for for this gentleman but yeah, I just think there's there's some mass, and I haven't talked about Habring yet in this uh, this episode. But there is he does have the the Masena Lab O three or O two, sorry. Um, but yeah, so get around rare horology. I just think collections like this are are quite unique, and yeah, just he he has some fine fine taste in watches. So that yeah. is mine. That, that harboring too. That harboring with Messina was amazing. Yeah, um, I l- love that watch. Actually, looking forward to their third installment. Uh, yes, uh, of the collaboration by the end of uh, hopefully this year. I they think will September. I think William said um, it was coming out. So unless there's been any delays, I I am really looking forward to it as well. And and as a as a OG uh, <laughs> uh, Messina collaboration with Habring owner. I always love seeing these come out um, because they're just they're just such a really cool piece. I've just put mine back on the black crock uh, after some time on the mesh, and it's just unbelievable what what that watch is and how accurate. I tell you what, Habring deadbeat seconds and most of Habring's movements plus one seconds per day 
no cost certificate, no nothing, manual wind. It is just unbelievable what they can do. So anyway, I had to bring Habring in somehow. There it is. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> Finally. Um, all right, let's, uh, we'll, we'll wrap up now. So thank you to everyone for tuning in. If you want to know more about Fifth Wrist or the Slack group, how to get involved and, and writing your own reviews on our website, you can email me, anthony at fifthwrist.com or reach out to any of the hosts on the Fifth Wrist Radio podcast. Everyone's more than happy to have a chat and point you in the right direction. We've had some great new incomers into the Slack group in recent times, which has been great. So Joe, thank you for coming onto the show. Now, can you just run through the list of how people can connect, contact, where do we go? What do we do? How do we listen um, to your world? Sure. Uh, make sure you follow Instagram on Bellas and make sure you listen to my podcast if you know Mandarin <laughs> or you want to learn Mandarin. And then also follow our uh, uh, Red Bar Taiwan group um, on Instagram as well. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Adam, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, thank you Likewise. for organizing this and, and throwing this together. So I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Can I give give a quick shout out to Thomas for Watch Symmetry? Yes, uh, of I think course. Without, this him, idea. without him, we wouldn't be on podcast. Ah. So thank you, Thomas. <laughs> Thomas, thank you, Thomas. Thomas is just the most loveliest guy. I, I really enjoy. I chat to him. Honestly, I talk to him most days. We're, we're chatting over Instagram. And yeah, he's such a, a lovely guy. In fact, I can uh, let people know of a little secret. Thomas, he, he must be the, the grand connector because he's uh, he's just hooked me up with uh, Erica uh, from Erica's Originals. So uh, wow. later in August or early September, I'm going to be chatting to her about um, you know all sorts of stuff. So again, but that was Thomas. So good on him. Thank you, Thomas. You're, you're an absolute legend. Uh, congrats on your latest, uh, the Moser, Moser, uh uh, mosaic dial is just absolutely stunning and then he goes and puts it, it straight on erica's original mn strap i love it absolutely love it all right thank you gentlemen that was so much fun uh, joe it was great to talk to you get to know you adam it's always a lot of fun with you so thank you again and for everyone else stay on time is by the community for the community. We would love you to join the crew via our group chat on Slack. Email us at contact at fifthwrist.com and join the movement.